Warning. Some of the material in this week's Drabblecast might not be for kids. Might not. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to sit here and tell you how to raise your kids or anything. I'm just, I'm just saying that maybe, you know, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just saying, okay? Just saying. Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 85. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So this week we bring you Trifecta 5. The Trifecta is a special that we do occasionally with three short, short stories back to back. The first little nugget of peculiarity we're going to throw at you is called Strange Love by Suzanne Vincent. Suzanne's from Utah, and she writes a bit of everything, but strays most often into forays with slipstream fantasy, fairy tale adaptations, and historical fiction. Among the many hats she wears, she's most proud of those of wife and mother, teacher, she homeschools her three children, and writer. She's a graduate of the Orson Scott Card's Literary Boot Camp and a twice-published author. If you'd like to delve deeper into her sometimes warped mind, you can read her blog, which we'll have in our show notes. The story is read to you by freelance actor, writer, and voice talent Steve Anderson, also known as Commander Badass, my trusty partner in crime fighting in the auto production of I Killed Awesome Man that the Weld Told Tales podcast is doing. Check out Steve's websites, sgacreative.com and greattaleslive.com, for more info on him. And if you happen to be around York, Pennsylvania on Thursday, you can catch the first performance of his newest touring one-man show, Tales from Poe. That'll be 10.30 at the Otterbein United Methodist Church on Main Street. Free admission. So, without further ado, Strange Love by Suzanne Vincent. Scat hated tattooing the Jerukset. They screamed the whole time in some kind of sick rapture while their yellow blood oozed profusely from every pass of the needle. Scat hated the blood. It smelled like mold and vinegar, and he could go through a whole roll of paper towels, wiping it out of the way so he could see the stenciled tattoo outline. Their skin wasn't all that pleasant either. It felt like oiled paper and never took the ink right. Instead of a crisp, clear tat, the colors always ran in crazy veins beneath the skin. A little rose tattoo could cover an area the size of a basketball with hundreds of red and green lightning bolts shooting out from the tattoo site. But Scott kept drawing on them, and they kept lining up for work, filling the appointment books of every parlor that still served them. Some wouldn't. Scott figured it was prejudice. Not everyone found the Cheruxit's interest in all things Earth particularly flattering. Scott didn't. But he liked the money well enough. The new Harley Hover 13 parked behind the parlor proved that. The Cheruxit paid whatever was asked in a creepy, joyful way, and they tipped like no human ever had. But underneath the new clothes and solid gold plugs in his earlobes, Scott always felt like he was selling himself out somehow, doing damage to the trade, sullying the art. 
He never understood exactly why, until Eschlons, one of his regulars, came in one rainy Wednesday morning. much like for you to bless me with an extra hour today, Mr. Scott, Eshlon said. I got other appointments. I shall pay whatever you like. Scott looked him over. Tattoos pocked Eshlon's skin, at least a dozen of them, mostly Scott's designs. With veins of black, green, orange, red, and blue streaking his skin, invading even the egg yolk color of his eyes. He looked like a freaking Technicolor zebra. It weren't for the money. Look, buddy, I just don't think it's a good idea, Scott told him. I shall plead with you, Mr. Scott. One more hour, a half hour. I shall pay double, even triple your usual fee. Scott swallowed a grimace and tried one more time. What is it, dude? Some kind of high? If that's it, I can give you a cap of ink. Give me, Eschlons asked. His eyes opened wide, and he danced a little on his two-toed feet. And needles. I don't know about that. Do you need the needles? If it's the needles that get you going... Oh, Mr. Scott, I most definitely need the needles. The ink is like a drug to us, but it is the needles that bring us the greatest ecstasy. A drug? Well, then let me give you some ink. You can snort it or something later, and we'll just stick to your usual hour with the needles today. Schlantz shook his head. Oh, Mr. Scott, you do not understand. Perhaps I do not express myself accurately. It is our skin, Mr. Scott. It is our sexual organ. The ink must be injected beneath the skin to arouse us. And for the highest of ecstasy, it must be done at the hand of another. It was Scott's turn to open his eyes wide. If he had known, if he had known he had been stroking a giant living phallus for the past four months, if he had known that one of these alien freaks was coming to him for a weekly drug-enhanced orgasm, he gagged and backed away, reached for a trash can but didn't make it, splashing vomit all over the industrial tile. Eschlantz bent over him, something that looked like a frown creasing his broad, smooth face. Oh dear, he said, starting to shake. Oh, dear, Mr. Scott, what shall I do? You are sick, what shall I do? Mr. Scott, I need you. Mr. Scott. He reached out a long-fingered alien hand and stroked Scott on the shoulder. Mr. Scott, he said, I love you, Mr. Scott. Our next story is called Cookie by Jim Bernheimer. Jim hails from Chesapeake, Virginia, and this is the second story we've bought from him. You might remember the first, the vampire insurance agent story, Reality Bites. 
Jim is the co-author of the upcoming paranormal adventure, Dead Eye, which will be coming out soon from Whimsy Hill Publishing. So without further ado, Cookie by Jim Bernheimer. Hello? Hi, is your mommy there? Who is this? I'm an old friend of Zack and Gwen's. Could I speak to her, sweetie? Mommy, it's a friend for you. Beth ran into the bedroom, holding the phone out with a smile on her face. Beth's mommy looked slightly cross before taking the phone. Hello? Who is this? Oh, dear God! Don't you people ever give up? Lying to a six-year-old? We've already filed for bankruptcy, so take your collections notices and just shove them up your... Mommy stopped and looked down. Honey, why don't you go play in the other room? Can Anne and I bake cookies? I'll make you one. What did I say about Anne? That she doesn't exist, Beth muttered. That's right. Now you can go put on a DVD and use your toy oven. Beth felt bad walking out of the bedroom as Mommy started using her outside voice with the man on the phone. He wasn't a friend of Mommy's. He was just like the bad man that fired Daddy and the ones that took Mommy and Daddy's cars and the mean woman who told them that they had to move from their home and into this trailer. Starting the movie, she looked at the battered quickie-bake oven. Mommy bought it at the store that Daddy used to say only poor people shopped at. She spoke softly. Anne? Anne, are you there? I know you're probably mad, but she doesn't mean it. Let's make her one of your special cookies. Seconds later, Beth smiled and got out the mixing bowl. You're right, Anne. It'll make everything better. Zack opened the trailer door. <laughs> he used to mock Dusty for being a trailer park slumlord. Now they were sponging off of him. I'm home. No dinner? I know she's been upset lately, but I'm doing the best I can. Beth ran over to give him a hug. Well, that was worth coming home for. Hey, Squirt, where's your mom? Daddy, look, Anne and I made you a cookie. Zack knew Gwen worried about this whole invisible friend thing, but Beth was only six. He took the cookie off the plate. Thanks, kiddo. A jolt traversed his body on the first bite. It wasn't just good, it was great. The best thing ever. He licked his fingers clean. That was fantastic. As the wonderful taste disappeared, Zack felt empty inside. A craving started. One far worse than when he quit smoking. He needed more. Do you want another one? Beth asked. Zack shook his head stupidly. Go and see Mommy. If you do what she says, I'll make a whole dozen for both of you. She pointed at the bedroom. In the room, he found Gwen on the bed, naked and shaking. Beth said if we make her a baby sister, she'll bake us a dozen. Her tone was desperate. I want them. We can't afford another kid, Zack protested, already ripping his shirt off. Beth turned up her movie. Making baby sisters must involve lots of noise. She whispered to the empty air. Now they won't yell anymore. 
We're gonna be happy again, just like you promised. I think they're making you right now. Even though you're older, I'm gonna be the bestest big sister ever. We'll bake lots of cookies together. That banker lady's gonna give our house back. The mean men won't call anymore. Daddy can have his job again. And everyone will stop saying I'm poor. Carefully mixing the ingredients, she giggled and touched the oven while repeating the funny words Anne had taught her. Soon Beth had 13 globs of dough, a baker's dozen. The first four went into the oven. The extra one? I bet when Tina gets a cookie, she'll be my best friend again. Beth paused, listening. The chief of police? Why? Oh, okay. I'll make him some, but only if he lets me play with the siren. <laughs> Don't be silly, Anne. If I gave one to everyone in the world, they wouldn't make me a princess. Would they? Our final story is called Forbidden Love by Ian Fosberg. Ian is a former international aid worker looking for a career in the absurd. I'd say Drabblecast is a good place to start. The story is read to you by Jesse Thorne from the comedy podcast and radio show The Sound of Young America. Each week, Jesse has in-depth discussions with personalities from the world of entertainment and the arts, and it's really a lot of fun. Check them out, MaximumFun.org. So without further ado, Forbidden Love by Ian Fosberg. She was the most beautiful skunk that he'd ever seen. And to think that such a perfect creature was to be found here in suburban Atlanta instead of in his native France. It was just so intoxicating, as if he had discovered a trunk full of canard à l'orange leftovers in the middle of the Sahara. The girl skunks of these regions were typically coarse and stubborn creatures with blunt features and callous paws, but this one was as if taken straight out of an old skunk fairy tale, perfect in every way. He knew that the females of this land found French skunks to be irresistible, and if it was his wish to make her his, then it would be so. He bounced toward her gleefully, grabbing her front leg and started to kiss it. She meowed loudly and tried to push him away. Oh, how extremely alluring, he thought to himself, for her to meow like a cat and then put up a struggle. This one was truly special. He must have her. She swiped his neck and ran away at lightning speed. He yelled after her retreating figure, Oh, my little Chaflu, my little Escapalouajou, I am like the floodwaters of one of your great rivers. You will not escape my driving force. It was thrilling to finally find a girl with a sense of play. He continued to bounce after her and for a while lost sight of her. But after a little wandering around, he saw her shadow cast from behind a tree. He crept up, quietly, paused, and then grabbed her paw from behind. Oh, you are playful like the young goat, and I am the... She hissed at him and then sped off across the street and waited on the other side, looking back at him and panting. Ah, look at her heaving breast, he thought to himself. She did want him. She did. <laughs> He never felt the truck hit him, but he did die with a smile on his face. 
Well, that was our trifecta. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, tell a friend about us, or even better, consider dropping us a few bucks via the PayPal button on our website, drabblecast.org. If you do, I'll give you another cookie. That's all for this week. The Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license, which means you can't change it or sell it, but you can share it all you like. Our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you that we most definitely need the needles.